And I think when we enter spaces like this, sometimes when a narrative gets too big, it's as if the other side needs to get bigger first in order for us to make any change. Um, so as I hear you speak, I can hear all of the other um, you know, podcasts or, or people, um, I'll withhold names out there that are kind of battling against this narrative that we're trying to support, which is to be able to speak and to be able to express ourselves and be authentic and support our own mental health through other people and through the world around us and to feel safe doing so and trusting doing so. There are a lot of people in the world who are battling that and making it seem like that's the wrong decision. So it's um, working in that weird way that this message is getting louder, therefore they need to get louder and that's okay. Um, it's a necessity and we're going to be here every episode making this conversation louder and louder because this one is in support of saving fucking lives. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mask Unity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK. What's going on, my people? It's your boy, Anwar Ahmed, a.k.a. A-squared. We are coming to you live from across two worlds. I am currently in Mexico, and this man is currently in Australia. And somehow we've made the timelines work. Honestly, it was a dream. I was worried for a second. I was like, mm, "Uh oh," but we made it work. We don't. Uh, we don't stop. We always bring you episodes. Um, we committed, and we're here for you always. So we got another one that we're really excited to share with you today. It comes at a very pinnacle time in society, and so we're here today to reignite the conversation around men's mental health, to honor the passing of Twitch, who recently took his life to deepen our understandings of the experiences like twitching, Twitch taking his life and how not just his, but all of them as they come, even though they're a similar outcome, they teach us something new about ourselves and about the world. And in many ways, the state of the world. I think there's a lot to unpack with the passing of Twitch. We want to make sure we honor him. So we're going to do so in many ways. It's going to be a great conversation. So thanks for joining us. Before we do so, you know what time it is. It's Moochie. Listen, I, I, I don't know if you heard my throat there, but it kind of went sideways for a second. And my dog looked at me like she was sleeping, by the way. I just want to point out she was sleeping. And she looked at are you good? <laughs> She's like, whatever that racket is over there, keep it down. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Uh, Muchek. So we're going to do this differently today. If you've been following us for a while, you know that Muchek comes at the beginning of every episode. And we do so to check in with each other, check in to see what our moods are like. We try to go deeper than good. How are you? To really amplify the necessity of this conversation. Why is it that we need to check in? And where's the value? I think as men, we don't see it. Where It's more of like, what are you doing? How's work? Um, what's your money situation like? like? We're so far beyond the simple check-in of like, what's your state right now? So mm -hmm. we want to describe more to you as the audience, um, kind of a, a reigniting this concept. Muchek is something we started out of the fly, but I'm going to let Anwar take that because he was actually the person who got us to do this. He, he had the idea. So um, why don't you give them more details around Muchek, the, the, creation of it and then the importance 
Yeah, I think that, you know, when we were coming up with this idea and we were, you know, at the drawing board and thinking about the good old days, the good old days, you know, we were thinking about, you know, what are some things that we want this podcast to stand for, you know, and how are ways that we can make just the, the show itself have that naturally organically in it. And I think it's very common for us to hear the, like the, how are you and just brush it off. You Mm -hmm. know, I think it's very common to mask you know, how we feel truly, you know, which is another concept of our show here where we, you know, we, we change the C to a K to highlight the fact that we do mask and in, in the masking is our moods. You know, we mask how we feel all the time. And I think that for us, one, it was a challenge for us to get out of the saying good, right. You know, and, and, and actually <laughs> yeah. showing an example of what Ballad. going beyond good sounds like, you know, and then the other thing is it, it allows for, the audience to every time they hear us have a mood check to to hear a different way about going about it. You know, sometimes we, we use words to describe the sensations that we're feeling. Sometimes we're just brutally honest about how we're feeling. Um, sometimes we say we're just good. And the other one challenges us and goes, but how are you really doing? Right. And these are all examples of what we think a mood check should represent, you know, is this idea and curiosity to not just ask the question and expect just good, but to dig deeper and want a bigger answer, you know, want mm-hmm. to have a deeper understanding of how the person's genuinely doing. Um, there's a, I was, you know, just reflecting with a friend the other day and we we're talking about, you know, there's people who are naturally, let's say assertive, you know, and then there's people who are naturally a little bit more passive. Right. Um, and if somebody who's assertive is expecting somebody who's passive to let them know, because they would be, they would let them know, you know, like if they were going through something, they would be assertive and they would let them know right? We're not all the same, right? So sometimes somebody who's passive might say, I'm good. And that is like as much as they can give you at the time. They're not going to keep going unless you pry a little bit more, right? And so instead of generalizing how, you know, like if if they were good, they would tell me, you know, instead of being in that mentality, which is a very easy place to be in. Well, I asked you how you're doing. You said you're fine. So, you know, I let it go is how can we not only want a better answer from our peers and our friends and our family, but also understand the characteristic of that person. Are they someone who would willingly share something, you know, or are they someone who needs a double question? Are they somebody who, you know, like, what are we doing to make sure that we're actually putting them in the best position? We call that holding space. Sometimes we call that creating comfort. What are we doing to make sure that the arena in which we're asking these people, how are you doing is conducive of hearing some information that maybe isn't pleasant, you know, like, how are we ready for that? Because if you ask somebody like, how are you doing on the fly? I'm probably not going to give you much. Like you sound like you seem like you're in a rush. That seemed, that seemed pretty ingenuine. I don't think you actually care. Like, I'm not going to offload a bunch of stuff on you right now. But if you show that people that there's time and there's grace for the question and there's a genuine curiosity about answering that question, it can open up a lot more, you know, and it can, it can offer a bit more of a, uh, a deeper answer and a deeper reflection. Um, and so I really like this segment of the show. Um, because I think it's a very important segment and, uh, I think that the mood check stands for so much. Um, but I do still think that we're underutilizing it. You know, I don't think mm. that we're, 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 even though we do it every single episode, it's like what this Twitch thing has kind of taught me is that like, there was also a whole audience that wasn't maybe potentially being checked up on, you know, and that's mm. these high functioning people, right? Mm-hmm. This high functioning, um, you know, strong individuals aren't getting checked up on because either a, they're maybe the ones doing all the checking in 
um, and they're checking in on other people and no one's checking in on them, or mm -hmm. it just doesn't look, they don't look like what we've classified as depressed or what we've classified mm -hmm. as people who need help. You know, right. we almost look for people who are hurt to check on, you know, like when you scan a room, you're not the, the happy go lucky person in the corner is the one you're probably going to skip, right? You're going to go, oh, that person mm -hmm. in the corner looks sad. I'm going to go check up on them. Right. But how are we doing a better job of changing our lens of what we perceive to be depressed? You know, mm -hmm. because I think Twitch, the biggest thing I've learned in this example is that he didn't look the part. Mm. Yeah, the double ass gets me every time, even as somebody who considers himself high functioning, shows up in the world constantly. Like, obviously, I'm running a business uh, in front of the eyes of whoever across the world and this podcast. I consider myself similar, high functioning, like constantly trying to, you know, show up my best, be my best, and um, not be perceived as struggling. And so the, well, the truth of it is, is that we all have our own struggles each and every day. And there are things that stress us out and bother us and worry us and um, bring up fear and insecurities. Like all these things are real. So the double ask um, really shakes me up sometimes, which is one of the reasons I love our mood check and why I'm grateful that we stuck with it. I remember, like you said, the creation and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and I, I think I remember I wasn't a hundred percent sold on it. Like I was like, okay, seems like maybe unnecessary. Like, let's just, you know, have the conversations and let's talk about the topics. But as time has passed, it has integrated itself into my own life in many different ways. And it reminds me of, uh, the documentary by Roman Kemp. Uh, I think it's called the silent emergency and it's a UK based movie or documentary about men's mental health and suicide. And in that movie, he stressed the importance of the double ask in all of his spaces because he lost a friend who was the similar to Twitch, high functioning, no clue, happy guy, always showing up, like always in this space. You don't check on those people. And you don't, you definitely don't double ask, right? Like it's not a double ask. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thanks. And you're like, oh, okay. There's no reason to double ask. It's like, interesting. And so I really appreciate that you just gave that information because it gives me good context now too. I, I'm learning with you as we go through uh, these experiences. And that's why we mentioned at the beginning um, the importance of understanding that every single one of these situations is going to teach us something different. It's going to provide a different value point for us. And it's not to be morbid about the situation. It's that this, this is offering us something. This was not in our control, right? We don't know Twitch personally. It came as a very big shock to the world including the people he was close to. Um, and it's horrible. It's so upsetting. And at the same time, um, how are we evaluating it? Are we evaluating it? Are we opening ourselves up to being able to have a conversation about it so that we can see if something different comes up because mm -hmm. he did it differently than a lot of people did. And he showed up in the world different than a lot of other people we know showed up. So it's completely different. So it asks for a different conversation, which is, comes right back to the mood check. And it, uh, man, it's, um, one other thing I wanted to add there with the mood check is sometimes you can, we can be double asking, right? Like even if we do a good job of doing a mood check, there is a level of humility and vulnerability that you need in order to share what you're really going through. You know, mm. I think that like a mood check is like the first line of defense. Um, 
And we hope we can continue to get more mood checks and hopefully we can get more information and we can hopefully help correct some of that information um, if it's if it's leading down a bad path. But there's also just, you know, to all the men out there, it's just like we also have to have some level of humility to want to share what's going on, you know, mm. like I ache for the people who feel like they were doing mood checks as best as they could checking in on people and they just were not getting information. You know, they just were not receiving anything that either led them to believe that something was wrong or, um, could, could lend to potentially getting this person help. And, um, I know that I'm, I'm guilty as charged for, you know, saying I'm good and like, mm -hmm. and holding the line, you know, you could ask me four or five, 10 times. <laughs> I'm good. You know? Uh, and I think that there's a bigger conversation there, right? Like, why are we so resistant, even though, you know, you're 100% not good, yeah. but regardless of how many times you're asked, you hold that line, you know, when you hold it so true to like, so solid, you know, and I think it speaks to what you just kind of a little bit alluded to there as this idea of like, how does bringing these walls down, make me look. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that to me is an interesting conversation and definitely a bigger conversation, but Yes, I think the mood check is a great start. At least at least mm -hmm. at least it opens the door to an opportunity for some vulnerability. And that's why I think we stress it every week and why I think I've grown to appreciate it is because we don't speak from a position of coming on here doing the mood check and saying we do that 24/7 365 everywhere we go. We don't answer the question always in that way. Like there's there's so many. I just had an encounter with somebody random and they're like, "How are you?" and I just said, "I'm good." Like naturally you're going to have the spaces where it's not like the space to open up or to share something vulnerable, maybe it's an acquaintance or, you know, not a super close friend, or, um, maybe it's uh, a family member that you're worried about. Like there's, there's, I don't know, there's so many different scenarios where we understand on a deep level that mood check is not going to be applied. So to, to get rid of any nuance, right? Like one, it's not always applicable and that can be okay. But two, what's the and both? right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that it is an and both. It's, there are moments where I cannot, and there are moments where I can, and can I understand and utilize both spaces? That's the importance. And I think that's really where some of the missing links are. This brings us to our first question. Um, what we want to do here in, today, we want to break down some questions around um, some of the common things that are being said around vulnerability, around men's mental health, men's health in general, we want to utilize those questions as personal experience opportunities to share with you what we move through. So this brings us to the first question, which is why are men struggling to talk, which is the grander narrative? Why won't men open up? Why are men struggling to talk? And we can talk at the question, but we want to talk with the question. So I'll speak first. Said. Um, in that, um, the question comes at me of like, did I struggle to talk? And if I did, why? And coming back to like the right spaces, right? Like the acquaintances, you know, the friends that aren't that close, maybe the friends that are close, but you don't really have that kind of relationship. Um, and the friends that are super close, the family members, like there's a myriad of types of people that you are in your spaces with. And the vulnerability conversation really came in hot and told me to, at least it felt like talk to everyone, like always be sharing, like, don't just say good to, um, like 
make sure you say something bigger than good to whoever is whoever's asking, right? Someone asks you how you are, tell them. I right? love so, it. Yeah, exaggerate, make it embellish it a little bit. Yeah. So I found myself trying to reach for information when I was talking to people I didn't know. And sometimes I did. Sometimes I would, um, I don't know, have a call with someone or not really be that close. And I could feel this like this tenseness in me to, to do what the narrative said, which is to share more than just good. Give them more. And that was a, a mistake I made. I think in many ways, I added a lot of pressure to myself to have to do so. So it almost kind of made me more closed because of this like inner conflict, this pressure that I felt from society, from people, from the narrative. Um, and then on the grander scale, um, did I struggle to talk? Yes. And I struggled to talk because I believed I could do it on my own. That was number one. I believed that I don't need to talk about it because just give me an hour and I got it or give me five minutes and I got it. Um, or just let me, you know, whatever it is. So I didn't talk because I really believed that I could. So uh, sure enough, I found a way and I did. But I didn't know what I was doing to myself in that process. So that's the interesting part to reflect on. And maybe that'll come out later. Just more of like the suppression and repression of your actual experience. But um, I struggled to talk because um, I don't know for sure if I felt like it was weak. I think that was a narrative that existed and still does, but I don't know if I was conscious of it. Like, I don't know if I was actually preventing myself from speaking because I thought that I would be seen as weak. So part of me actually believes that maybe that that was something that was forced upon me as a man to, to try and believe and to try to see, but I don't feel like I ever got that treatment. No one ever told me that. Like, I think maybe, you know, the you're a pussy narrative growing up could have done so that's a possibility, but, um, I think that I never really felt that way. So it wasn't because of that. And I think that, yeah, really, really boiled down to the fact that I really thought I could just move through it. I was a high functioning person. I was capable of what I believed anything. I was strong enough. I felt like uh, I was um, not incapable of moving through hardship. I wanted to be resilient and determined and committed and strong and all of the things I want to be a leader, like and it felt like there wasn't room for any of that if I was those things. So I think it was very complex in the sense of why I did not talk. It wasn't just, oh, I, you know, I don't want to be vulnerable or I don't want to share the depth of me. No, I, I don't need to because I got it. Mm -hmm. That was my grander narrative. Sorry, I was just adjusting there, but you can keep, you keep going. I know I raised my microphone, but yeah, yeah you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Um, and it, it reminds me of what I was just trying to bring up was the space, right? I think another narrative that I just came to was that I didn't feel like I had the space. And this is why like men's groups and men's community is such a, a thriving thing right now because that's the space. But I will be honest in that it didn't matter if the space presented itself or not. In the experiences I've had of, you know, depression, suicidal ideation, um, really just, you know, down and beat up moments. I don't think it would have mattered at the time because, well, coming back to the first narrative, I don't need it. I got it. Give me an hour and I'll figure it out. You know? And so the men's community was a space and I didn't utilize it. Not one bit. Um, I also didn't utilize the people I knew I could. And I didn't do that because 
Mm. You know, that's a really good question. I've spoken about that to you actually before about like, I didn't reach out to friends that I had. I didn't, I knew I had people and I still didn't. I don't think I've dissected that enough to fully understand what got in my way. I think I could make up like, it was, you know, I don't want to be a burden or I don't want to bother them or it's not important, but that doesn't seem right to me. It feels like there's got to be more there. So that sounds to me like I have some, some discovery to go into there because nothing's really coming to me in this moment. I just knew I didn't. And to be radically honest, I knew I was choosing not to. Like I knew it was a choice. So you're fully conscious that you weren't using your, your environment to, to better the situation. Yeah. 100%. So, okay, well then maybe there it lone, is. Like I, lone wolf, lone wolf mentality. It sounds like a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of lone wolf. Um, and also it, this is, In a weird way, as I've worked through a lot of my coping mechanisms and like strategies I've used over the course of my life, um, I didn't have to face it. What do you mean by that? If I talked about it, I would have to face it. Mm. Mm -hmm. If I don't talk about it, I don't have to face it. So I was running. There it is. The goosebumps ran through my body. We found it. I didn't talk because I, that means I had to actually walk myself towards the fire. Mm -hmm. And that was way scarier than trying to be like a radical lone wolf who could just figure it the fuck out. Yeah. That's, that's the shit right there. Isn't it? Yeah. Just, I mean, we're just watching you unpack that in real time is like an, an exercise in itself. You know, <laughs> just watching you re, you know, kind of decode like all of the things that you're doing subconsciously that are leading to real conscious results, you know. Um, and I don't think that we do this enough, you know. This is such a simple question. Why are men struggling to talk? It's like such a, it's such a simple question. We're doing it all the time. <laughs> and yet, watching you go through that was just like almost like you were revisiting those feelings for the first time you know mm. understanding it for the first time which is crazy because if you think about it and you think about how long you might have been in a you know um in a in a rut with your mental health for you to be revisiting what you were avoiding for the first time in this moment is just like such a telling experience right like it's like it's such an all it's such an all consuming headspace when you're, when you're, you're in that mental health, like challenge and struggle. And yet a simple question, like, why aren't you talking? takes such a long time to answer. Mm -hmm. And that just like, <laughs> I just, it just goes to show you how, like sometimes how deep rooted some of this subconscious stuff is, you know, um, because it just feels like there's just more reasons to not talk than to, to talk, you know, mm -hmm. even if you think about it for a second, it's like, okay. And even some of the reasons you were like, you had reasons that weren't even your reasons. And you were like, but they existed, <laughs> they were floating around. 
Yeah. And you're literally, there was the four reasons that you had for yourself. And then you were like, there's the weak one as well. But I don't know if that one was for me. It's almost like there's this bullet point of all these reasons why you shouldn't be talking. And yeah. like four of them apply to you. <laughs> Three of them didn't, but you were conscious of all of them. Yeah. Like, but the other equation is just talk. Like the other side of that line is just to talk. Right. right. And I can resonate with a lot of the things that you said there, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the fundamental points that you had made um, were definitely things that I felt as well. And in terms of my, my challenges with not wanting to speak out, I think the one, the one that I will say um, was the most like pivotal for me was my perception of myself and the language that I needed to use, you know, like I always felt like I was kind of like, you know, the older sibling, the, 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 the pioneer, the, the mm. leader, the, you know, I always felt like these were some of the qualities that I was chasing. You know, I wanted to be the captain. I wanted to be, um, someone who was, you know, respected, idolized, you know, and in, in many ways I had, you know, carved out small pockets of leadership within my life, you know, where people looked up to me in terms of like a friendship or advice or, you know, um, responsibilities and things like that, you know, and just, you know, I kind of grew up really fast at 18. I was kind of, you know, injected into an adult life. And so it felt like, okay, I got to carry this torch now, you know, you're an adult now, you know, you got to do this, you know, and what do adults do? Adults, they make, they take, take care of things. They just, they don't, <laughs> they don't really, I've never mm -hmm. seen my parents like, you know, look around and ask questions and struggle or try to be like, Hey, I don't know what to do next or show any sign of like, you know, even mm. though we were poor and stuff like that, there was like, there was like a rock to them, right? Like there was a level of like, you looked at your parents and they were like, oh, those people don't fold. Like they don't mm. tell you what's going mm. on. They just kind of hold the line, right? So for me at 18. That's the, that's the contrast of the year. Please keep going. Oh my God. <laughs> I just think for me, it just felt like, okay, you're an adult now. And what comes with adults, they don't fold. You know, adults have their shit together. Adults know what they're doing. You know, and it was almost like I took on titles a little bit too early. And therefore, when problems came, I didn't, I was like, oh, you're not a kid, you're an adult. So how would an adult handle this? You know, and a lot of the times that felt like, you know, like I'm not going to go to my friends and be like, hey, I got adult problems. You're still, you're still in your youth. You're still being a kid. So it's like, we, I felt almost like we had different problems, you know? Mm. And so that's where I resonate with you in terms of like, I guess I'll figure it out. I figured everything else out. I'm going to have to figure this out, you know? And uh, it was almost like I had, I, I had built the wrong foundation for life, you know, too early. Like at mm. a young age, at 18, when I still had so much to learn, I still should have been very curious. I started entering in this like, I'm an expert life. You know, mm. like I got to be an expert and everything that wasn't expert felt like I needed to like shut up and figure it out until you, they, they can't know you're not an expert. They can't know you can't hold this responsibility, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so I felt like a lot of the times for me, my silence was more in this idea that I had a perception of myself that I needed to obtain or maintain, I should say, and talking about struggling with that image just didn't make sense you know because that's the image i have and that's the image i'm trying to portray uh, mm. and that's the image that i like you know like that's who i am is um i'm, I'm a high functioning high responsible adult child adult yeah <laughs> and so that adult that was home hard like 
well, first of all, I haven't even considered that as a narrative to exist in my arena. I've known that I've obviously been influenced by parents. Everyone knows that. Uh, but that part like strikes because how parents are just trying to make sure that they are seen in like a good light. So they just, when we're not struggling, we're not going through anything. Like we got this, we'll figure it out. Like to not create any more stress, right? In the family, they don't want the children to be worried. And then to not, it has never really clicked that that desire to look strong and to be perceived as a great parent always and always to like, you know, probably suppress in many ways the struggle or hide the struggle so the ch children don't see it is actually doing us a disservice and is causing us to see as adults as, well, you don't share then, you don't struggle then. So if you're struggling, something might be wrong with you. So, d you know, like get rid of it. It's, that's, that, that's well said. That is great reflection. And for any parent that's, that's listening to like, I, yeah, like to, to be able to share with your child that you are having a difficult time. I, I already feel resistance. I don't have a child. I can feel that resistance. I don't want to do that. Cause then what then that might mean that, well, maybe they have to be emotionally responsible for me in some weird way, which I don't want. Um, or they might feel like they have to take care of me or they might see me, you know, as incapable or not able to support them or help them. I get it. Like there's a lot of pressure there. Um, and yet still it is so much more valuable to share that you're moving through something at obviously an intellectual level that they can understand so that they know that it's okay to be able to go through those spaces and to see you come out of them, even though you had like, that would be the grander narrative, but that's not the common narrative. That's not common. Wild. And even, you know, to, to bring it back to, you know, masculinity and, 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 and men, mm. even more so from the father, you know, mm -hmm. if there was some vulnerability to be shown in the home or some, a little bit of uh, emotion or a little bit of genuine honesty, sometimes I would say, I would argue that it was, it would mainly come from like the mother, you know, and the dad would hold the post, you know, like dad will show that, like, we got this, you know, mm -hmm. for sure. You know, even if we're wavering, it's like, maybe you'd see some emotion from, you know, your mother, or you would see some emotion from the, you right. know, the, the female figure yeah. in your life side, but the father, no way, you know, like, it's almost mm -hmm. like you, it's almost like we're in a place where it's like, we're still really awkward when we see people, men cry. We're still very awkward when we see men cry. There's like something about it that just is still, you know, um, and it's just so deeply rooted in us that that looks weird, mm -hmm. you know, like a man crying. There's just something no. about that image that's still not fully resonating. Right. And so I think that if just people could understand that, like, a man, if a man crying still weirdly has some sort of like stigmatism to it, right? Which is just like a pure expression of, you know, frustration or pain or like whatever someone is going through. And we just are choosing to not engage in that because of some sort of stigmatism. And then we're also choosing to not engage in speaking about it because without the crying, it's still just a verbal expression of something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, then I just think that a lot of, and the hard part here, the hard part here, um, my brother is the fact that like, I just don't know the answer to how to get 
meant like to just you know like mm-hmm. and I, I can i can i can feel the frustration from the women's side as well you know like they're like we don't care if you cry i get it you probably don't and i know you genuinely probably don't you would rather have like patty said someone cry on your shoulder than have to carry mm-hmm. his cough in the next week like i know deep down that is probably true but there is a narrative out there that is just it just exists and like we as men need to start looking past it like it's just not worth it you know mm-hmm. it's not worth it um and i don't know the answers and i know mm-hmm. that this is starting to become real frustrating for people because it really does feel like we're on rinse and repeat here with suicide like somebody dies we have the the almost like we could just carbon copy the templates and just condolences this is really sad gone too soon i can't believe it shock like we're just so used to this idea of somebody committing suicide mm-hmm. and we're just not getting more comfortable with creating the arenas that would prevent that mm-hmm. you know i even still in a weird way call this a hot take i think that like when people see a bunch of men doing men's work together it's still looked at as weird yes like Why it's still the, like the hilarious narrative is that men will start a podcast before they talk about their problems. Like there's so many that are like, we want you to talk, but when you go and do it, why are you doing that? Like it's a, where <laughs> there's a questioning. So something that Anwar and I both deeply value in our lives is personal development and not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk which is one of the fundamental reasons why we created this podcast is to support you in having the tough conversations and then feeling confident and safe to take new action with this new knowledge. So what we've decided to do to support you in this is we've partnered with Men's League, a men's mental health platform whose biggest focus is to make a systemic shift in how we view what being a man is and what masculinity entails. Their mission is to provide a diverse group of like-minded men with a support system surrounding their mental health, their physical health, their financial aptitude, and their personal relationships. Men's League is a space where you commit to improving yourself. You commit to improving your mental health and becoming a better man. So what does Men's League offer? Well, let's get into it. First and foremost, they're a private community for men which includes a chat forum and also monthly Zoom calls where you come together, discuss a topic, and you just partake in conversation with other men. I've taken part in so many of those. They're one of my favorite things. Mental health check-ins. So this is huge. This is unlimited 45-minute sessions with mental health professionals. Incredible. You always have that help at your access. Discounted one-on-one and group coaching services, a whole mental health resource library to help you manage your day-to-day and real-life issues. Exclusive membership offers. This is cool. They have discounts for men's clothing and health products. And this is my personal favorite part because I've partaken in it a lot is professionally made online self-development courses that you can take at your own pace. They're always available to you and they'll help you with your relationships, your physical health and your financial aptitude. So if you're looking to get involved, we in Men's League are excited to offer you a 50% off of your first year membership to do to join the league go ahead and click that link in the bio or go to mensleague.com and don't forget to enter a promo code modern mask 50 and get access to everything they have to offer men we see you we hear you 
and we are standing tall beside you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity. And I just, I, you're seeing online too, it's just like, you know, there's, there's, there's just these weird things that come up, right? It's like, you see these things that you don't, you know, there's haters online all the time. It's, it's, it's fine. It's understandable. Like, you know, that's just how the world is. You know, there's just people that are going to hate, but there's literally like, I've seen people be like, oh, men talking about mental health on podcasts, ick. Like, like that's like <laughs> gross. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just like, when you hear these things, it's like, this doesn't fuel the narrative of a healthy mental space, you know, like right. you, by making that statement, you are contributing to the men don't cry comments. You are contributing to the, um, like men, like men shouldn't cry. Sorry. Uh, like, you know, man up, like you're still yeah. in your own way, contributing to all those conversations. Cause every time as men, we step into a light of trying to prevent something like this happening, there's comments like that, that come back, you know? And it's, it's frustrating to hear, right? Like it's, it's, it's frustrating exactly. to listen to. It's annoying. And what I, what, what I'm starting to realize is that like, there's this really like toxic positivity slash ignorance to the idea of how real something is, how real this problem is. And when you said earlier in the conversation that there's like a, there's like a, there's something that you can learn from these unfortunate acts. I think the one big one that was missing, and I, I really, really hope we can start changing the narrative on all of this mental health stuff, is the fact that on the surface, this man had everything you think someone would want, and still we got the same outcome. Mm -hmm. Four million followers, charisma, personality, talent, friends, a beautiful family, three kids. His last post on IG was him and his wife dancing in front of a Christmas tree. The post before that was him and his wife celebrating a nine-year anniversary. He's regarded as someone who brought joy, positivity, and passion to everything he touched. And we got this outcome. Yet we want to talk about men on a podcast talking about their feelings as X and this and that. That's where we're at. That's what we want to continue to push forward. What are we doing? Like, I don't understand, like, what we're doing here. What, um, what example are you looking for? Because this, this, this is not – a friend said this to me best. You know, I called them after kind of this conversation, and he said it to me best. He said, you can't just – out, you can't just in a positive way outthink cancer. We don't treat it like, oh, you have cancer. Just think your, meditate your way out of it. This is an illness. It's an illness. This is not a how does your life look like just think positively about it. Show gratitude. This is an illness. You wouldn't speak about somebody who is sick in that manner. You wouldn't say, hey, think your way through it. There's levels to this mental health. There's levels to the depths of which you, one can go in their mind. And by the response online, you can just tell that people just think like it's a lifestyle thing. Oh, he had it all. Why would he do that? He had kids. Let's, 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 let's do the math. Let's put the math together. This isn't a lifestyle thing. This isn't a, if you have it all, 
you can't feel it. If you, if you, you know, you, you shouldn't be committing suicide. If you have everything, this is a illness. It is killing men predominantly. And we got some real serious stigmas that we need to break. And instead of saying gone too soon, or this is sad, or putting out all these empty comments in messages, ask yourself, what am I saying or how am I projecting information that might be contributing to someone not telling me how they feel? Because if you've contributed to any kind of like, I want, I only want a man who's strong or I only want, if you're, if you, if you're, if you are saying some of those things, men are just going to continue going down that route, you know, because you're going to feel like there's no, no way out. And that's not everybody. And I know that. And I genuinely believe that the world's in a place where, you know, they want men to be more vulnerable. I genuinely believe that. I just don't think our actions always are in line with that. Because when you see an attempt of something like a group of men getting, you know, doing, doing breath work together or social work or doing whatever they're going to do, you see that you see how people respond. And it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating to watch. Mm hmm. The question we were going to move on to was, you know, what are the stigmas or why is it that men's mental health is stigmatized? I mean, you just spoke actual facts and beauty in also in a weird way to the fact that it's, this is why, like, here it is, here it is front and center. This is why it's stigmatized. You want, you, you still don't not understand. Well, instead of writing those comments, why don't you just ask? Why don't you just get curious and listen, right? That's why in so many different ways. Uh, you know, this is um, a conversation that we have had many times in on this podcast. There have been men in our personal lives that we've lost. And there are men in the grander scale of things that we have lost in regards to Twitch. And, and Twitch in many ways reminds me of Robin Williams. Very similar, it feels like experience of just like that's not that's no, you can't make that make sense to me. And so, what we're doing again here is reminding ourselves that um, the conversation is not done, we're not over with it, it's not going anywhere. And I think when we enter spaces like this, sometimes when a narrative gets too big, it's as if the other side needs to get bigger first in order for us to make any change. Um, so as I hear you speak, I can hear all of the other, um, you know, podcasts or, or people, um, I'll withhold names out there that are kind of battling against this narrative that we're trying to support, which is to be able to speak and to be able to express ourselves and be authentic and support our own mental health through other people and through the world around us and to feel safe doing so and trusting doing so. There are a lot of people in the world who are battling that and making it seem like that's the wrong decision. So it's um, working in that weird way that 
this message is getting louder, therefore they need to get louder and that's okay. Um, it's a necessity and we're going to be here every episode making this conversation louder and louder because this one is in support of saving fucking lives of preventing that decision. So we don't have to go there anymore so that it doesn't matter what they look like or what they're doing in their lives. We're still having the conversations with them, which is something that you attested to. So like eye openingly, which is should, it really shouldn't be that way. But the question that you posed in your beautiful post on Instagram was why are we only checking in on the people who are struggling and not checking in with our friends who are high functioning, who are doing well? Why do we put up a block? Why do we not care as much or not? Maybe not even care as much. It's not intentional. Just what is the block there? Right? Cause as we've been pointed out many times, and I don't think I need to go farther than Twitch and Robin Williams to identify the fact that it is just as important to go into those spaces. So I'll, I'll speak to that myself in that. Um, I think that there is a obviousness to someone who is struggling, right? It's a very obvious, like, okay, you're not doing well. Like you can talk to me, open up, like then I'll enter that space. But if a high functioning person were to tell me, oh, you're not doing good. Well then, it's almost like, well, what hope does any of us have? Mm. You know what I mean? Which is a weird way. To, I've never really thought about that before, but not asking someone who maybe I look up to or um, is doing really well as a friend. Like, I'm like, yeah, you're like, you're killing it to, it's almost like it's relatable, but it's also like, shit, you didn't find out a way out either. Mm -hmm. I do superheroes deal with mental health. Right. Um, and again, like the obviousness of it all is like, yeah, you're struggling. So of course I'm going to open up. You're not struggling or perceivably you're not struggling. So I'm not going to engage with that. So that's, I think, number one for me, why I don't ask my high functioning friends really in depthly of like, how are you really doing? Um, but I think too, I think it's going to come back to, you know, mirroring back to me, my own experience. If I double ask you and then you start to tell me about your struggles, well, one, obviously didn't expect it, but two, it might ask me to face mine. Cause I'm asking you to, so how hypocritical would be of it would be for me to not share that too. So it's almost as if like I, I make it about myself mm -hmm. unknowingly, I'm still in self-protection. I'm still trying to make sure I don't have to talk. So I'm not going to ask you. And to add to that, because you're, you're, you're on a, you're on a great point. We often say like one of the best caveats for being vulnerable or getting vulnerability out of somebody is to be vulnerable yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Great wraparound. That's exactly it. I mean, the, to lead the way. Yeah. I mean, the, the people that I've gotten who have been vulnerable to me when I ask myself, why do people open up to me? You know, like randomly, you know, I'll meet a stranger and they'll all of a sudden they'll open up to me and I'm, I'm realizing that I am being vulnerable to them and therefore they're being vulnerable to me. There's this yin and yang there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and when I think about, you know, women, it's like they always have this open door of like, I'm being vulnerable to you. You're being vulnerable to me. It's almost like a, it's almost just always available, right? Like it's almost mm -hmm. like, hey, there's no reason why you shouldn't have been able to tell me what's going on. I've been telling you what's been going on for like weeks. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where for men, it's like, it's almost like a wall with a wall, right? So it's like, 
how do we expect to get vulnerability out if we're not willing to be vulnerable ourselves, right? So if you have two people who come together who are like, they're both, I'm good, I'm good guys. Well, obviously no conversations going down. Right. So I just thought that that was a, yeah, you're ultimately saying that, but I just wanted to add that language there. But um, no, it's yeah. good though, because we've, I think, I don't know if we've had conversations strictly towards it, but it's like, if you are someone who feels willing, then like, get on and die on that sword like get get in there share open up like do that do that because you are the influence for hundreds thousands of people who don't feel safe doing it who feel like it's you know the most critical thing that they could do who absolutely reject it who say fuck no i'm not sharing anything with you like like it it doesn't put you on a pedestal it just puts you you know two steps ahead and you would want them to come up with you, right? Like we're walking each other through the dark, but I have a little light up here. Like, can you see it? And I only have that light if I share, right? Like if I, if I open up and I lead that way, you can see that light and you can come with me. Can we see it that way? And it reminds me of how I even got to the position I am in now. I became so much more vulnerable in my life. And, and I'll, I'm gonna use the word truthful from Aubrey Marcus. If you've ever followed anything of Aubrey Marcus, that man is some of the most radically fucking honest things I have ever heard in my entire life. And in each one of the things that um, I've learned through the process and I continue to learn, I'm like, wait, you can talk about that? Wait a second. I don't understand. That's not okay. You don't get to talk about that shit. No way. What was happening here? So it's show it's, it shows me one how like vulnerability and truth are so shocking to culture, right? Truth has been obviously demonized. We know this, and so but to, to focus on my experience, um, leading the he he led the way for me. He showed me that it was possible to do it and still be okay. And that was my fear. If I if I share. If I open up, if I start to get into the nitty gritty of it all, whether it's a public platform or a person, like I, I'm not going to be okay. Something, something is not going to be okay here. But he's doing it on a, a very large platform. And in many ways, I see like his business could be threatened. His um, relationship could be threatened. His sanity could be threatened. And yet it's still there and he's still showing up and he's still okay. And he has hard shit and he shares it and he's still okay. And he keeps proving that you can sh do this and try this and be okay. Man, was Polly for how long? And it absolutely destroyed him. I can't honestly say I've ever considered the possibility of even attempting that until him because he shared his experience. And so it was so eye-opening for me in this moment, but also just in my experience of like, it's not always you and that's okay, but can you pay attention to the ones who are? who are like so radically honest and just use that as your, um, the, in the way I did my almost approval. Like I got approval from them to do so. You know what a really hilarious example is? It's not vulnerability related, but you know, there's new AI generator that came out. Yeah, yeah, where you're yeah. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first time that I saw it was the through Aubrey. Right. So he put it out and I was like, Oh wow. That's kind of cool. What the hell is this thing? That looks so, that's a hella cool. So I couldn't find it. So I Googled it <laughs> and I found it. I found the app and I'm like, okay, download the app and I'm tinkering with it. But then I went back to his post and I went to the comments 
And he got absolutely destroyed for this thing. They lit him up for making that decision. And I was so beside myself. I was like, oh, no, screw it. I'm not doing it. But then there was still this weird urge. Like, I want to, though. Like, what's the problem? Like, I don't understand why I'm making this a problem. But it was because I was in this, like, he led the way. And then he got absolutely lit on, lit on fire. So I'm like, he's no way he's okay. I'm not doing that. So then I worked through some of my narratives. And what I'm getting at here is that I did end up doing it. Only because he did keep posting other things. He was okay. And he did it. I didn't feel like I had permission until he did. So it, it just opens up the door, I think, in this conversation to um, be that leader in, if you can, and to know that the influence that you make is actually so much more powerful than you might see on the front side of things. Um, but in many ways, to many people for you, you're, they're Aubrey Marcus. Like, yeah, I'll share shit about me. That's just what I do. I'd love if you would, but I'm not going to force you, but I'll model it. I'll lead the way. I definitely feel like we got off topic with the question, but I like where we went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I really like where you went. I think that, you know, you speak to one, what this platform is about, right? In in many ways, we're trying to lead the way, you know, mm -hmm. in this conversation and really instill ourselves in a, in a place where like, we don't, we, the thing that I love about our podcast is it's, it's extremely authentic because we're like, we're guys on a journey, you know, like we really believe in the 75% rule, you know, we're like <laughs> on our way. Like we are literally processing and navigating new things every single day about our masculinity, mm -hmm. about our mental health, about the challenges that we face. And we still show up to this pod podcast and, and try to in real time unpackage that for the audience, right? To, to show you guys are, there's, there's times where we've gone on podcasts and I read back and I'm like, I don't know what I was saying there. Like, I don't know. My feelings aren't <laughs> like, they're not, they're not coming out as clear as I wanted to, but it's a part of the process, you know, and we're trying to show that it's not about having the awesome. right words. It's not about having the right, it's not about being perfect. You know, it's not about always being like, okay, the, my feelings are 100% fleshed out. I know exactly what feeling that is. I know exactly what I want to do with it. You know, it's about having a raw conversation with a raw emotion and unpacking mm -hmm. it and maybe, maybe attaching it to another part of your life or a perception that you have or an experience that you're having, you know, I think what you talked about there with the, with the, the AI bot is you're really speaking to fear of judgment, you know? And I think really what we as men are struggling with is the fear of judgment about our masculinity. If X mm -hmm. happens, right? If I do this, there's a massive fear of judgment that I won't be considered masculine. And right. what kind of man will I be viewed as? Yep what kind of man am I? Right. And then we have this idea of what a man is like just black and it's black. It feels black and white, you know, of masculinity. Mm. And there's all these pillars and, you know, it's sometimes it feels like it's laid out like a warrior and, and we feel like a gardener and it's <laughs> hard for us to process, you know, because we so badly want to be a warrior, but maybe our makeup is gardener. You know, that doesn't mean you can't go and get warrior skills, Right. But I think what's happening is sometimes we're dying, trying to become a warrior when we're worn. We just don't one have the right tools to become it or we have, we have been shown. Right. 
imagine someone who had a, a very solid father figure in their household, a father that was a warrior, right? And then this child is born and it's like, yeah, that child is probably going to get a, you know, a firsthand example of what warrior looks like straight from the, the master, you know, you're going to mm -hmm. learn exactly what it feels like to be a warrior. Then there's all these people who grew up with no fathers. And yet they're being held to the same standard of trying to become a warrior, but they don't have the same master teaching them. They're, right. Some of them are teaching them on their own. Some of them are being taught through, you know, women, right? And so they learn all these skills about being a gardener and you're the best gardener ever. And you feel good about yourself and you go into the world and you're like, you got no warrior in you? Like, well, what's going on here, bro? You have no masculine yeah. qualities at all. And you're like, oh, well, I wasn't taught those qualities. What do I need to learn? It's like, oh, well, you're not even a man then, you know? Like, but yeah, I am going to teach you. You're just, you're just less than you're just less than, you know, and then God forbid you're already feeling Tough. that way. And then you, and then you have a mental health bout. Say you're already feeling insecure about being masculine. And then all of a sudden now you're, you know, things are going, things are happening in your life that are leading to you wanting to share. And you're like, well, that's going to make me feel even more, even, even less masculine than I already feel. So screw that. Yeah. I'm already fighting this uphill battle of trying to prove that I am. Right. And so for in a lot of ways, you kind of really highlighted there, you know, one, the challenge of fear of judgment of our masculinity to this very black and white definition of what masculinity is. And, you know, and three, the one thing that you, you know, you didn't say it, but it came to me as you were speaking is the, er, the question we asked earlier was, why are men struggling to talk? I thought about that. I went, OK, you know, we're stuck on that question. We're trying to figure that out. Then he went on this, you know, little um, segment about vulnerability. It just dawned on me. Maybe men aren't talking because other men aren't showing vulnerability for them to talk to. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about all the successful conversations that I've had, I've given a little bit to get a little bit, right? I've been mm -hmm. vulnerable. Someone's been vulnerable to me. So let's mm -hmm. say you wanted to talk but none of your friends ever act vulnerable to you. Therefore you never feel like you have an opportunity to speak about what you're going through, you know? So is it maybe men are struggling to talk? Not all because of some of the stereotypes, but also because most men open up to women and not other men. Mm-hmm. What does a world look like where men are being vulnerable to other men about real shit? I think that conversation is worth exploring mm -hmm. because sure, I can be vulnerable to you and you can be vulnerable to me. We've created this great relationship. But what if you're in a friend group right now and none of your friends ever show you vulnerability ever? So therefore you go... I can't show that either then. And you're all just looking for, you know, one person to let their guard down for you to let your guard down. <laughs> right. And every time you open up, you open up to a woman when men are mad, when men are being vulnerable, let's say, for example, they open up to a woman, but then they don't feel the full complete feeling because they're actually struggling with masculinity problems. Mm-hmm. And they want to have a masculine conversation. Like they want to hear from another man, like, Hey dude, it's all good. I go through that exact same thing. Mm -hmm. It almost kind of feels like to me, I remember th telling my therapist, I don't want to just vent. I don't want to just venting helps. 
and it really helped in the beginning of my my mental health struggle just getting it off my chest i felt like there was a deep breath Mm. but then it's like now what (laughs) you know like (laughs) i've got it off my chest it feels great but now what you know and i feel like sometimes having these vulnerable conversations with our women counterparts give us that venting space but it doesn't help in the moving the needle forward in the solution space because Mm. what i'm actually struggling with is fundamentally different than what you can maybe offer me you know Mm. even the understanding like they wouldn't fully be able to which is one of the struggles exactly and so i'm just having an almost like a a sobering thought almost, you know, like, I just feel like Mm. maybe we're asking the wrong questions, even us on this podcast, you know, (laughs) is it, is it men not talking or is it, is it men not being able to start the conversation themselves, you know, be vulnerable Mm. to, to, to get vulnerability back, you know? Right. And I mean, sneaky, 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 sneak, um, little plug there for a future experience we'll be bringing to the podcast. Um, I love that. And I think that you did that by accident, but I was sitting there like, is this, does this guy want me to go there? Does he want me to share what we're going to do? And then we're not going to, but we do have something um, that's going to be really powerful. That's going to speak to exactly what he just spoke to. And I think that what he just did there was he gave himself and me um, more context as to why we're going to do it the why just grew way stronger to what's coming. Um, so that's exciting. That is really, really exciting. Um, and I think that it just, it really speaks to the, the space, right? It speaks to the space around one of the biggest reasons why this is such a difficulty for us. What's the space? Where's the space? Um, how supportive is the space in the ways that we might need? And I think that I got to, I got to twist it a lot because I grew up around women that women would have the right answers for me, but um, they tried. And I think in many ways they were able to supply what I needed to an extent, but there still wasn't like, I was still ostracized. Like I was, I'm a man. I am fundamentally, like you said, fundamentally different. And so there are so many missing components like discipline or um, even strength. Like this is the hilarity of it all is like I was closed off from men, but the experiences, the feedback that I would get would be, um, I guess, not masculine qualities that I was probably looking for as the advice or the support or the feedback or the listening. Like it wasn't that. So I was only getting really the other side. So there was an imbalance so then I almost needed it more, which I think is also the other side of it. But um, anyways, I don't want to add anything more to what you said, because I think it needs to just live um, in that. And then knowing that we're, we have something exciting coming is ties it all in a beautiful loop. Where we want to take it is two more questions. But I want to ask you this one because I've already addressed this. I want to see what your thoughts are. The question revolving around vulnerability is why is a man weak if he is suffering from mental illness? And I spoke to my experience a little bit about like struggling to really grab, grab hold of that narrative, like, or I guess apply it to my experience because it didn't really come up for me, but it's a huge one. Why is a man weak if he is struggling with mental illness or struggling at all? Um, So when you were going through your experience, was weakness a factor? Like, did it come up for you as 
a challenge or a narrative that you believed was part of the problem? Um, and if it did, like, was there anything about it that made you feel weak? Yeah, I think that it's a great line of questioning. And I think that I think with all the stigmas that are going on in the world, I think you should always really ask yourself, like, am I just embodying that because that's a narrative? Or is it true to my experience? You know, and I think that that's across the board with anything that you see online. Like, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can go out there and like read, and because you've heard it so many times, you can start to believe that yeah, that was one for me. But it's like, was yeah. it? You know. So I love that you actually yeah. like reflected on that for real. Um, but I do think that it did feel that way to me, and not from yeah. like a weak from society perspective. I'm gonna reframe this. I just always believe I believed in like physical and mental strength you know okay. physical strength is very obvious being able to you know move physically through the space and hold your own um but to me during those times it felt like i was you know when i was going through my mental um illness it felt like i was working out mentally and failing every single day it was like you are mentally weak you can't mm. like you are failing these workouts every single day you come in here and you fail to your mind, you know? And so that failure did lean towards me being, feeling weak, you know, like mm -hmm. that was a language that I think I embodied. Um, and it really did feel like I had a weak mind. You know, it felt like I had a mind that, uh, when it comes to like mental toughness and mental fortitude and, and in so many ways, I had like such a strong mind, you know, it almost like the way it felt like to me was like, I was going through a catastrophic injury. You know, mm. like I had a strong mind and it was good. And it got me through a lot of stuff. Like from 18 to 25, I was, it was like, I would, I would say mental toughness was one of my attributes, perseverance, mm. mental toughness. I feel like that would have been a way to describe me, you know, mm. but then I had this like massive injury. And when I had the injury, I stopped believing that I could like get back from this injury. Like it started to really feel like am I ever going to get back to like game shape? You know, am I ever mm -hmm. going to get back to the strength that I had, you know, but it was such a fall from, you know, where I was that it felt like it almost felt like a, like a, an injury that you couldn't reverse, you know, like I felt like that was, that was my new, my new playing field, you know, and it was that overwhelming. Um, and it was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You know, I just, I didn't know how to, at the time it was, it was, it was just so, I don't know if you've ever been really good at something, you know, and then all of a sudden you're not good at it anymore. There is just like that fear of like, am I ever going to be good at that again? Mm. You know? And then there is the expectation that like, but I was really good at this, <laughs> you know? And it's almost like it works against you in so many ways. Um, but I mean, oof. the, um, the, the Twitch thing hit me really hard because, um, I'm in Sydney, Australia now, you know, and if you've heard my story before, it was like that injury happened in this city, you know, that, that, that injury happened here for me. And I remember being so alone and um i remember being on bondi beach you know just 
the scene couldn't have been any more beautiful, you know, sunny, soft sand, blue waters. And, um, yet it was so dark. My reality was so dark and the, the injury felt so permanent. And I think, um, when I heard about Twitch's, Twitch's passing, it, 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 it had a really, I had, it really took, had a bad day, had a really bad day because I was like steps away from the place where I felt the worst I've ever felt in my life and was considering doing something about it, you know, and hearing about someone like Twitch who I remember it wasn't Twitch that was in my mind at the time, but in so many ways it was him. You know, I remember sitting in these negative thoughts thinking if I could just get my charisma back and I can just be positive and if I could just love life again and live with passion, if I can just get to that place, then these thoughts will go away. If I can just get here, these thoughts will go away. And what I, what almost I was humbled by hearing about the tragedy of Twitch is even when I was in that place, I had the wrong destination because here was Twitch at the destination I thought I would find peace at. And he was still in the same dark place I was. So here I am in the midst of my illness, thinking about a guy like Twitch saying, if I can get to where he's at, I will be okay. And yet he's sitting right beside me with the same illness. And it's just, it makes me stop thinking about things in destinations. It's not a get to here and you're going to feel this. It's not a, once you accomplish this, this will go away. And I think as, as men, that is like how we decipher things. If I mm. get this girl, this will go away. If I get this job or I hit this financial number, like we, we have this, we have this weird association with destinations. Like if I get to X destination, everything I'm feeling will go away. And the problem with that is that we then prioritize getting to the destination instead of actually like facing the problem, you know, and, and, and we really numb ourselves out until we get to said destination. And I hope what we can learn from the recent incident is that you can have the destination and still be in the same spot. So focus on addressing the problem and not running to something else, you know, and it's hard work. It's not, I'm not saying mental health is easy, but what I like about, I've never called it the, I've never called it an injury before. And I never have never given it like a space like that, but I, it's really resonating with me because the injury happened in Sydney and 
if someone asked me like, how are you doing now? I would say I'm still in the rehab process. I'm still rehabbing that injury, but I am having a lot more grace for my progress. I'm having a lot more grace and patience for showing up and being kind to myself and understanding that like, I will be that guy again and I can get there again and I don't need to be that guy right now. And I can allow for rebuilding the foundation in a way that's stronger than I built it before, but it might take longer and having delayed gratification and not comparing myself to others and really living in my own lane and understanding that I had an injury, which means I'm going to, I can't just go a hundred miles an hour. I have to understand you've gone through an injury. Mm. And when you can understand that you are healing and that you are rehabbing and you can sit in that framework, well, then you're not so focused on trying to just kill it. You're focusing on mm. making sure that this injury doesn't happen again. And mm. that is you know, where I'm at and where it lives. And I am, uh, I went back to, uh, this place that I sat for a while, um, contemplating some of the most horrible thoughts I've had. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I could go back to that same seat, sit there and, uh, not be so caught up in the idea of like, I think, I think what I would want is to go back there and be like, aha, you thought you could get me, you know? Um, and you want to get back to a point like that where something was really bad and you get back and it's almost like the proved you wrong moment, you know, like I'm bigger than I thought. Um, and I went back there and it was just like, no, it's still, it's still there, but fuck, I'm proud of how far you've come, you know? And it's like, to be proud of progress is a, is a hell of a thing. It's a hell of a thing. Um, because it's not complete. And I know it's been years since I've sat in that seat with those thoughts, but fuck what a 180 from where I was. Um, still got so far to go, but it felt like a, felt like a very, uh, felt like maturity to me, you know, to be sitting in a place and, and, and not want the trophy, but be happy that I made the tournament, mm. you know, and that we can still win a trophy and it will come. You just have to keep believing in the, the habits and the routines and the conversations that you're having and the people that are around you. And, um, Yeah, it's uh Yeah. It's hmm. hmm. why we're here. It's why we're here. Those moments. And you see it different every time and you become more aware of it in a different way every time. And 
you know, I'm so grateful that the audience got to hear all of that from you. Because, like you said, fuck, it's weird to be proud of progress. And it's confusing. It doesn't make sense. Because um, the result's not there. So for what? And I think I am just, I am reminded, and I hope that you as a listener are reminded that um, in in so many ways, the progress is so much more to be proud of than whatever result that we are looking for. It's potent, absolutely potent. That was raw. So appreciate you holding that space, man. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? This is, you know, I like that you said that too. I meant to say this earlier. So much of this conversation hasn't been just vulnerability being shared. It's also been a masterclass in a holding space. <laughs> and that's one thing that I think goes missing in our conversations is that we're holding space for each other through this process, every single conversation we have. And we are staying open and curious to the other's perspectives and opinions and also experiences. And we're not interjecting. We're not trying to tell the other one what their experience is or isn't. And we're also just listening. And I think that that can help us understand what this is like to do this in the real world is by listening to these conversations and be like, okay, you know, Anwar shared this crazy deep story and he said nothing. Kyle said absolutely nothing the whole time. How did I feel like I have to say something? I feel like I have to say, oh, it's okay. Or like, oh, um, you know, but you got through it. Or like, oh, you know, like I have to really interject myself so that, for, well, for many reasons, but what we're trying to remind you is that vulnerability just hold, wants space. It doesn't want solutions. It doesn't want anything really more than just space. And it can be difficult, but we'll lead the way. We'll hold that space in this. And so um, just want, I really want to touch on that. I think that that's an important part about men's mental health and vulnerability. And even, you know, this concept with Twitch and many ways who was or wasn't listening. And also um, maybe he just didn't feel like he had the space to do so because listening is a difficult challenge. It's a, it's a skill. We talked about at the beginning how it's the same outcome, but it's a different story and it's a different impact. And with a different story and a different impact comes a different lesson, a different understanding and a different opportunity for personal reflection around where we are at in our own lives, where we could be better, where we may be struggling and what the state of our lives is and how we view these experiences because we're growing from them each and every time. And even if we don't entertain conversations, I believe that you're still shifting in ways internally that yeah, you're not just not fully hundred percent aware of. So there's always a new perspective from experiences like losing um, such an icon in the world like Twitch. And the question we want to finish with uh, so we're going to pose it to you as a listener is what are you taking from this experience? So there's more than just someone passing. There's more than just, you know, suicide rates. There's more than just uh, a celebrity. There's more to this and it's unique to you. So we'll answer the question, but I want to encourage you to do the same. What are you taking from this experience 
And in what ways is it hitting you differently than others? In what ways is it actually different? So have that conversation um, and we'll provide some maybe opportunities to extend that. So I'll start in what I'm taking from this experience. And my answer is unexpectedly simple in that it feels like it's time to normalize suicidal ideation. And I say that specifically because of how long I spent feeling like that was something was wrong with me for having thoughts like that, that I was broken and that how shitty of a job am I doing that I can't even not think these thoughts. And so that's what I mentioned. I didn't talk about them. I didn't, I wasn't able to move through any of the stigmas and it took me a really long time to get to a position where I felt like I could share it, but I had to be so far beyond it to consider it, not to talk about it, just to consider it. And as I have moved through this men's mental health space, I've been a part of a lot of groups. We have this podcast. We have a lot of conversations now because of what we've started here. Um, I am realizing that it's not just men, it's also women and just the general population, how radically normal and often a human considers what death might be like. It is a natural curiosity because it is the one thing we will never understand. We will never know. So the idea of having thoughts around that, in my opinion, is the human condition. And why I'm so on this right now is because um, I wish I had that. <laughs> I wish I had someone saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, you had thoughts about, it's not crazy that we do that. Like how wild is it that our thoughts go there? Because I, I, for me, that's really fucking cool. If one person had said that, my entire experience would have been different. But they're not because suicidal ideation has been this padding, coddling, oh no, experience. And yet we all do it. So it's very odd to me. So for me, um, I think it's time to normalize it, make it very much just a part of conversation. Like, can I have a conversation with a friend and just, isn't it crazy that we die? How do you think you'd go? What do you, have you ever, you know, I had this crazy thought the other day, I might fall off the deck, then what? I don't know. You know, I was driving the other day and I thought, what if I don't stop? What if, what happened? Would I, would I die? I'm not sure. One could call that suicidal ideation, which I did because I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with me for thinking this? Like who thinks of not stopping? So I was beating myself up. But for me, it's like, that, that sounds to me like a natural curiosity of the human condition. And yes, it's around death, but what's the problem? What's wrong with death? Why are we so on death is the worst thing to exist in this world? It's a part of the human. It's happening whether you want it or not. So if I'm thinking about it, that shouldn't be a problem. Now, I understand that there's limits to that and that I am speaking directly to suicidal ideation. I'm not speaking beyond that. So I don't want to get that twisted. What I want to ensure is that we are accepting parts of the human and not dissolving or diagnosing or um, demonizing the fact that that is real. And that happens for millions of people, if not the entire population. So this conversation and this experience with Twitch for me, I don't know what it is, but it's like, it's, it's one of the gateways to maybe start talking in my head. 
is to how can we get this to a space where this is just, yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing. It's wild. Isn't it wild? Instead of like, oh my God, are you okay? What's going on? Is everything okay in your life? Like it's this whole big ordeal for me. And so I think that there's parts of it that we can, you know, start to shift and just, it's going to ask us to be uncomfortable as shit. Right. Which uncomfortability do you want to deal with? Someone who's demonized the shit out of it and then ends up doing it or the uncomfortability of moving through a conversation with someone around it, not making them feel like a fucking alien. And rant, period. That's my takeaway from this abrupt experience and eye-opening experience from Twitch passing. And this is why I said, and we said it changes every time because I haven't had these thoughts before. I don't know if you want to speak to that, but um, you can. If not, just jump into you know what you take from Twitch passing because I know yours has grown and evolved as well. No, I mean, I think you said that I don't need to touch that at all. I think that that's well said, uh, well articulated, and I would challenge people to take that on and really consider it, you know, it's, it's, it's almost similar to the men's, you know, health conversation that we're happening, having, it's like, you find out that many people are struggling with erectile dysfunction. You realize, Oh, okay. You calm down. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a grace in honoring the human experience that you speak to there that I think is, um, should be explored by most people listening. Um, my, my biggest takeaway with this, uh, the Twitch thing is um, just the the preconceived idea of what depression looks like, you know. Mm. I think that was the biggest thing that hit me in the face, and I try to I try to highlight that in my post. Um, I know there's a lot of people on Instagram that are probably just scrolled by and went, "Oh, Anwar's smiling. He looks good." Like and kept it moving. <laughs> like have no idea what the post is about. You know, mm-hmm. and it's almost like I it, I did it intentionally. You know, I wanted to give, I even, you know, try to make the caption very like, you know, what's behind the smile. I kind of try to bait mm-hmm. people in because this is what we're just right swiping past, you know, yeah. a smile, white teeth. Oh, he looks happy. Right swipe, you know, just keep it, keep it moving. But meanwhile, like that, that smile is hiding so much, hiding so much. And the irony in that picture, I, I chose it specifically is I posted that when I was, as a, as I'm getting off a social media post, like I use that photo, I put it in my story. I said, I'm getting off of social media. Call me if you need me, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and that was the picture that I used and, uh, I was getting off of social media for a reason. So I'll I'll leave it at that. I wasn't getting off of social media cause I was fired up about life, you know? So that smile was hiding a lot in real time. Like that was a real smile that was fake in the funk. You know, so I just, when I came across that picture, I was like, wow, I need to use this because Mm -hmm. in this picture, I'm actually doing what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm hiding what I'm actually going through. Um, so I think that that was the biggest thing, you know, about this situation. Um, and the biggest takeaway for me was just on a personal level was we as human beings are always going through stuff and we project what we're going through on others all the time. Um, and I think that for me, I want to be more conscious of how I, how I project onto other people. Mm. And I want to be more conscious of, 
I know we always say this, but you truly never know what someone's going through, you know? And, uh, my really good friend, you know, put it in very Lehman's terms. She said, uh, we got to stop being shitty to each other. Mm. We really need to stop being shitty to each other because yeah, that little one moment you had or that two moments you had that week or that person that you said something horrible to, I don't even want to get started on online. Just think mm. about what's going on all online and then think about what people could maybe be going through. And just for a second, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it at all. You know, it's, I hate how simple some of this stuff sounds, but it's like, <laughs> let's be kinder to each other. Let's stop being so shitty. And, um, let's honor this real experience that we're going through, you know, and, and then stop conforming to stigmas and societal norms and ideals and all this crap. Because at the end of the day, memento mori, like you're born, you have life and you die. So let's not manufacture our own death because of this experience. Mm. We're here to live and we were meant to enjoy and struggle as part of life, but we're getting a little bit too comfortable in advocating that struggle is what life should be. And that pivoting and transitioning and change and, is nah, you shouldn't do that. No, 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 no. I'm just, you're struggling. That's right. There's, there's just, life is just a bunch of struggle. And if you're not succeeding, then use alternatives, find another way. Um, but yeah, you know, I, wanna, I just want to end that with, we could go on and on and you can, you can hear the passion, but yeah, we just got to be kinder to each other and um, be aware of the fact that not all smiles are even and uh, you never know what someone's going through. Mm. So let's keep that in our heart as we uh, continue to live through this life. And um, as a passing word to Twitch, um, he was like the first person I um, I remember watching. So I think you can dance. I've always kind of had a little bit of a dance sir in me, I would say. Never really took it seriously enough to want to like go into classes and stuff. <laughs> I did one time. That's a story for another another day. But um, <laughs> he was kind of that person who just, I just love what dance represents in this world. You know, it's just like, it's just this authentic movement to whatever is happening, you know? And I just feel like when I'm dancing, there is a, there's a, I can never really be wearing a mask, you know, cause it's like, it's just so raw. It's such an authentic mm -hmm. way of being able to express. And I've always loved it. And I've loved the art of dancing. And I can genuinely say watching Twitch on that show was like, just someone I really, really admired someone I wanted to be like. And uh, one thing at the time I was really struggling with was, uh, you know, I was faking my personality a lot and not in like a negative way, just trying to fit into my environment. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was just always constantly trying to, you know, strip who I was to fit in, in a better way, you know? And what I loved about watching him was like, he was just a hundred percent Twitch all the time. And he would just like do contemporary and then he would do jazz and then he would, but he still looked like a, an, a football player, a basketball player. And it was just the first time visually I like accepted that, like you can hold your integrity of who you are as a person and then do things, 
you know, and it, mm. and the things that you do don't change the makeup that you have, you know, like it was just mm. such a cool thing for me to be like, Oh damn, I can just be me. And then like, because I did that doesn't change who I am. I can just, you know, he's a hip hop artist that does all these other things and he's funny and he's he's charismatic. And there, there was just a lot of his personality that like, I always wanted to embody and I, I wanted to become, and I liked and I admired. And so you know, I appreciate him for all the laughs he gave me, all the all the times where he gave me um, up uh, something to look up to, something to aspire to, and uh, for teaching me that you can be who you are and and try a bunch of stuff. You know, you can be a black guy that likes hockey, or you can be, you know, uh, you can have an an afro, and you know, they just just you can be who you are, and you can like things that you like, and that's not gonna change. You know it's not, not going to define you or change you, you know? So it was the first time I got to visually experience that. And he was the catalyst for me understanding that. And, um, mm. yeah. So, you know, a nod to him. I hope you, you know, you rest in peace and, you know, you, you find peace in um, wherever you are and, uh, yeah, you're who you are will be forever lasting. And I'll definitely carry, um, a bit of you with me um and in in, in the way that I, I i think that joy and passion looks so um mm. yeah i just wanted to say that as a passing it's a passing mm. comment beautiful incredible incredible send-off which gives us an opportunity to finish this podcast with a moment of silence for twitch so we'll take the next few moments just to reflect on his experience and him passing and and give him that honor. And if you have anyone in your life that has passed from experiences like this, or even just passed in general, we want to offer you that same space of reflection. So we'll take another moment of silence for the person you have in your mind. That brings us to the end of the episode. We told you it was going to be great. We got into a lot of deep stuff and we were able to honor an incredible human being who has graced this earth with, with their presence. So thank you for joining us. We hope you got some value out of this. I know we did, and we are incredibly grateful to be able to have this space and for have to all of you witness us through this process. So thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe, download, uh, let us know in the comments what you thought about this episode, or maybe if you have a send off to Twitch, we'd love to see that in the comments below if you are following on YouTube. And if you are watching this, or sorry, listening to this on any platform, we have released the full video episode on YouTube, so it's available. You can subscribe there for other episodes that uh, we have our guests on. Otherwise, thank you for joining us. Men, we see you. We hear you. Shit, are we ever standing tall with you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity? We'll see you in the next episode. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode, 
or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe, and if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.